if you are here for the first time, this is the read and rant. And what we do here is is uh, essentially we're just reading through the entire scripture. Um, my, my my prerogative, my goal, my uh, uh, imperative, my initiative, what I come here to do, the reason why I wake up every morning and join with you guys is so that you guys can journey through the entire Bible with me together. And so we've gone through the entire New Testament. We've gone through the entire Old Testament and we're just reading through. Um, I'll spend about 20 minutes reading today. And then I spent another 30 minutes just, you know, reflecting on what the scripture is speaking to me in that day and in that moment. That's why I call it a rant, because I have nothing planned. I don't have an outline. I don't have any notes, nothing uh, necessarily cohesive, just really sharing what the Lord is imparting on me this morning as I read the scriptures. And um, and so what you'll notice is some people ask if this is a Bible study. No, it's not a Bible study. Um, but you'll see elements of the study of scripture in it simply because for me, sometimes to reflect on what the Lord is sharing with me today, I have to give some foundational understanding. I got to give a background. And so you'll see that element of it. Um, eventually maybe we will, um, I may commit to a time of, of Bible study as well. Um, I'm still debating on that. I know that there, I will have a few sessions. Uh, my wife was, was asking me maybe to commit maybe to once a month, just doing a two or three hour session once a month on a particular uh, portion of scripture and do some Bible study on maybe some themes and some topics. Um, a lot of you uh, felt that our reading of Revelation was eye-opening because most people read Revelations wrong. Well, they say revelations when it's really revelation. And so a lot of people read revelation wrong. And so now that you read it with me and, and you have a perspective as to how we ought to actually look at the text and read the text, everybody's like, wait, you need to now do a Bible study on this because, oh my goodness, like this is, I didn't, I never knew that this is what revelation was all about. Um, and, and, and also, I, I believe it's also happening as we're reading through um, the Old Testament as well. And I hope what, it, what this is doing is this is refreshing you. This is restoring you. A lot of you have been intimidated by the scriptures and partly because um, the scriptures have been taught to you a certain way. Uh, more specifically, it's been taught to you in a piecemeal manner. It hasn't been taught to you in its totality, in the whole, in the grand narrative. So because you don't read it through the grand narrative, you miss um, what the scripture is actually saying. And so I hope that that's been refreshing for you. It's been restorative to you, um, that it has brought life to you. Um, I've been encouraged, guys. I'm so encouraged by you all. I, I can't even front. I'm so encouraged by you. I'm so encouraged that you guys are uh, sharing stories about how this has transformed you, that this has really set you free from a lot of thinking about Christianity and about the church and about how to, you know, grow in your faith. And and so um, I, I'm just I'm encouraged by that. There are those of you here who've told me, hey, I'm an atheist or an agnostic, but this has actually been very, very helpful to me because it's helped me now create a framework for how I navigate through some of the difficult questions that I'm addressing right now in my life. And so um, this is what it's for. It's really just to show you that maybe all the stuff that you've been exposed to, you haven't been exposed to it in the proper way. And and because you haven't been exposed to it in the proper way and because you didn't really get the big story and what this is really, really about, then um, maybe this will help reframe your thinking and draw you into the the truth of what the scriptures are all about. And so, um, and so I've been encouraged by that guys. We are at almost 5,000 downloads now. That's, that's just, it's crazy to me. 
um, that we are at 5,000 downloads. It's growing exponentially um, at this pace. We may hit 10,000 before the end of the month. And that's just been, I would have never expected that, but I'm so encouraged that people really care so much to simply read through the scriptures and to spend time and reflect, uh, reflecting on the scriptures. And so um, that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. Hey, uh, Jason, good to see you. So let's get right into it. I don't want to belabor the time. We're in Judges chapter 11, um, and we're going to keep walking through. If you ever miss anything and you want to go back and check the readings uh, from before, I want to encourage you to uh, subscribe to the Read and Rant podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the Read and Rant podcast, and there you can catch all the prior um, talks that we've done here live um, on on TikTok, and now I'm doing it on IGN on Facebook, and I also broadcast it on Facebook live in our Facebook group, which is the font everywhere. Um, if you ever miss a reading rant, you can catch it the same day right away on our Facebook group. And so, um, I want to encourage you. It's on Apple and on um, <clears throat> on Spotify, so you can check it on Apple and Spotify. Um, you guys were the ones that gave me the idea. You're like, you know what? You need to save these because, and that's why I think some of you are asking as well about the, um, where are the gospels? When we start, when I started the reading rant, uh, when I started the reading rant with you guys, we started in the new Testament in the gospels and it wasn't until we ha- we were halfway through the book of acts that somebody was like, Hey, you need, you need to record these because like, this has been eye opening and you need to record these where can we find the recordings? And I was like, I wasn't recording it. I was just jumping on TikTok and just chilling and vibing with you guys and reading through scripture. And so uh, we didn't start until Ephesians. Genesis, um, not Genesis. Um, yeah, Genesis, not Genesis, sorry. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. No, we started either Romans or Ephesians, either one. Um, but but we, we, we started there and... And that's where um, you can find the recordings now. So this wasn't planned, but you guys suggested it. You guys asked for it, and um, and I did it. And that's why I'm committing every morning to recording these as well. One last thing before we read. I also want you to know that uh, the month of July is my sabbatical month. It's my rest month. It's a commitment that I make every year to simply rest in that month, to be refreshed. It's my time in prayer. Um, I spend time in prayer and reflection, planning, and just really seeking the Lord for where he wants me to go next and what he wants me to do next. And so uh, July is is a critical month for me. And so um, for that reason, I, you know, I'm not really doing much uh, ministry or anything of that nature. And so even on social media, you're going to see a little bit less of me. I'm going to commit to reading through Judges. My wife was like, you might as well just do Ruth because Ruth is only four chapters. And she was right. After we read Ruth which will be one day, one reading, we will, um, I'll suspend it until the end of the month of July. And then in August, I'll come back again and we'll kick off just to spend some time off, some time away. Um, but I won't keep reading without you. Okay. I'm going to continue to read it with you because I'm, I'm, I'm truly passionate about you guys reading through the entire scripture with me. So, um, but the podcast will still keep updating. So you'll get that. Okay. And I'm glad this has been eye opening to you all really truly encouraged by that. So let's get to it. We're in judges chapter 11. Sorry for all the, uh, uh, the, the pleasantries at the beginning, but I wanted to make sure we got all that out of the way. Um, as we get closer to Ruth and ending Ruth, you'll, you'll hear. Yeah. You could use July to catch up for those of you who haven't caught up. That's a good point, Jason. Uh, you can use July to catch up and, um, 
and and you know and so when we get back we'll be able to to pick up where we left off uh together so judges chapter 11 uh we encourage you go ahead and go to verse one we're going to spend the next uh maybe 20 minutes um maybe a little bit less but the next about 20 minutes reading um uh, from judges 11 on I'm going to pray. And the thing that I'm praying about, that I pray about every morning when I read the scriptures is what is the Lord revealing concerning himself? What is the Lord revealing concerning people? And what is the Lord revealing concerning me? Those are the three questions that I'm asking. I want to hear what God has to say today through his word. Father, we ask that you would be with us today, Lord, as we um, engage with your word. Father, engage with us. Lord, speak to us through your word. Lord, as we come before you, let's not simply be informed by what the scriptures tell us, but Lord, that we would also be convicted, Lord, of what the scriptures are compelling us to do, even in this moment and in this cultural uh, time. And I just ask, Lord, that you would bless us, guide us, lead us, Lord, as we engage in your word. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Judges. Chapter 11. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, a worthless and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was that when the people of Ammon made war against Israel, that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me? and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned against you to you now, turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, Shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness before us if we do not do according to your words. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness to us if we do not um, do according to your words. And Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. Jephthah spoke all the words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, Why? Do you, sorry, what do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land when I came up out of Egypt and from Arnon as far back as Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore these lands peaceably. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and said to them, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. 
And Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. And the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, they sent the king sent to the king of Moab, and he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, came to the east side of the land of Moab, and encamped on the other side of Am Arnon. Sorry. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, and uh, king of Heshbon, and said to him, Please let us pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, encamped in Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel and defeated them. Thus, Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites, who inhabited that country, and took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord, our God, takes possession before, of before us we will possess and now are you better than Balak the son of Zippor king of Moab did he ever strive against Israel did he ever fight against them while Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages in Arar and its villages and in the cities along the banks of, the, of Arnon for 300 years why did you not recover them within that time therefore I have not sinned against you but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah and Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead. He advanced toward the people of Ammon, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Arar as far as Minneth, twenty cities, and to Abel, Karamim, with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. When Jephthah came to the house of Mista, there was his daughter. Coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then he said to her father, Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me, let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. Goodness gracious. And he said, Go. 
and he sent her away for two months, and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was at the end of two months that she returned to her father, and she carried out his vow with her, which she vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to them to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Goodness gracious. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon, and did not call us to go with you? Will we burn your house down on you with fire? And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, You Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. The Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when, they, and when any Ephraimite who escaped said, Let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, Are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, then they would say to him, Then say Shibboleth. And he would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they would say they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. There fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. And Jephthah the Gileadite died and buried in among the cities of Gilead. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from, some, from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried in Bethlehem. After him, Elon, the Zebulonite, judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years, and Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried in Ashelon, a country, a country of Zebulon. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who drove, sorry, who rode on 70 young donkeys. He judged Israel eight years. And Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, died and was buried in Parathon, in the land of Ephraim, on the mountains of the Amalekites. Judges 13. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, Please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. 
and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will the boy's rule of life? What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and we'll prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was with, sorry, for Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? And when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. And it happened. As the flame went up toward heaven on the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Then Manoah and his wife saw this. They fell on their faces to the ground. And the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord has desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would we have shown, uh, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us of such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son named Samson and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manah Den between Zorah and Eshtoal. I'll read one more chapter. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren, among all my people, that you must go and get a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? 
And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father's mother did not know that this was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at the time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one who would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, she turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and his mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for the young men used to, <clears throat> for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought thirty companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, "Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can solve, if you can correctly solve and explain it to me within seven days of the feast, then I will give thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me," Then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for the three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? And Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while the feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. And he explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? He said to them, If you had not plowed my heifer, you would, have, you would not have solved my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Eshkelon, and he killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, gave the changes of the clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went up, he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had, who had been his best man. Good morning, Ellison. Good morning, Izzy. Guess what I'm drinking from today? <laughs> um, you know, this uh, the the unfortunate 
reality that we confront here in the read and rand is that we don't get to we, we don't get the privilege of fully um breaking down every part of the text it's not what we're here to do um, we're here to just ask those three questions what is the lord revealing concerning himself today what is the lord revealing concerning people today and what is the lord revealing concerning me today because there's so much that's really transpired here in the, the these three chapters that we've read, um, four chapters that we've read. A lot has gone down and a lot has transpired. And as I've been reading, I've been praying through that, just asking the Lord, Lord, what are you revealing? What are you speaking into? What are you um, saying to me today? I, I would do a disservice to you if I didn't at least reiterate a few things because I want to make sure that everybody understands what they're reading and to understand that they're reading this particular scripture on the backdrop of a grander story. This is a story within a bigger story. Um, this is a story within the bigger story, which began from the beginning of humanity at the Garden of Eden. This is a story that began with Adam not uh, uh, disobeying God, which is an act of treason if you understand how God intended to administrate the earth. God wanted to administrate and rule the earth through humanity. That's why he said, let them have dominion. That is, let them have authority. Let them rule over the earth. God's plan from the beginning was focused in his creation of earth, was focused on the earth. God was about his dominion and his rule on earth. God wants to be glorified in all things. He wants to be glorified in all things. He wants to be glorified throughout the universe. He wants to be glorified throughout all creation. All creation gives glory to him. And on earth specifically, he wants his glory. The creator created the creation for his glory. That's the whole purpose of all of this. And yet um, the means by which that God intended to be glorified was in is the means by which his righteousness has been established on earth. People think that's a weird term. I had a conversation with a brother yesterday about righteousness, and he asked a question because he's, he's, he was kind of in a faith crisis on a particular portion of text. Good brother of mine, good friend. And so he calls me and he's like, man, I'm still wrestling with this, with this, um, with this righteousness thing because trying to understand how righteousness brings us from faith to faith and where love is in all of it. So he's kind of working through all of that. And I had to stop him for a moment to let him know that righteousness is not a destination. It's not a destination. We often make righteousness a goal. We often make righteousness a destination. Well, righteousness is not a destination. Righteousness is not a, a goal. We make it that, but that's not what it is. Righteousness is actually a pathway. Righteousness is a road. When we talk about the righteousness of God, people often conflate that with the perfection of God. No, the perfection of God is the perfection of God. 
And when people think of the holiness of God, they confuse the holiness of God with the perfection of God. No, the holiness of God is the holiness of God. The holiness of God is not the perfection of God. While God is perfect, the holiness of God is not his perfection. And the righteousness of God is not the holiness of God. And often people confuse righteousness with holiness. Those are not, those two are not the same thing. Okay. And so when we confuse righteousness, holiness, perfection, and we make them all one thing, then it's hard for us to understand certain portions of the scripture. But when you understand that righteousness, the word, remember, I've been saying this over and over again, that the word righteousness in the scriptures is the word justice. Therefore, the righteousness of God is one that is directly intertwined with the rule of God. The righteousness of God is a way, not a destination. Did you hear that? The righteousness of God is a way. It's a pathway. It's not a destination. And so the righteousness of God is... So when we say that God is righteous, God can only be righteous because the only way that one ought to live is under the way that God created all things. This is now the law of God. You have the law of God, the righteousness of God, and the holiness of God. The holiness of God is simply God being other than anything else, being distinct from anything else. Okay. But just because God is holy does not directly imply that he is righteous. I hope I'm not confusing y'all. Just because God is holy does not directly imply that he is righteous. Just because one is righteous does not directly imply that they are holy. But we'll see how they both begin to intertwine further as we get down in the text. Why am I bringing all this up? Because God was all about his righteousness. So when we think about his righteousness, what we're thinking about is his justice. God was all about his righteousness. That's why the scriptures tell us that he is a righteous judge. He judges things based off of his righteousness, based off of his justice. And so his justice is what God is all about. If we're talking about justice, then, then we're talking about rule. Because we're talking about some system of law, some system of right and wrong, a system of morality. So when we talk about righteousness, we're talking about a rule. If we're talking about a rule, then we're talking about a government. Are y'all with me so far? The entire scripture is about God establishing his government on earth and his government is ruled by his righteousness. His righteousness is the means by which he rules. Why am I giving all this? Why is this important? Not just maybe a kingdom under shepherd. It is a kingdom. That's why the scriptures, that's why we see the theme of the kingdom all throughout the scriptures. And so the kingdom was supposed to, the kingdom on earth was lost with Adam at the garden because Adam, who was meant to be the ambassador of God to establish God's kingdom, decided to establish his own kingdom. We've been talking about this. If you want to go catch the other reading rants, go back and we'll, and, and we'll, 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 you can catch up on that because we've been, I've been, I've been working that 
because that's what Canaanite thinking was all about. That's the issue with humanity today. That's the issue with our cultural moment in our cultural time is that people are really more interested in establishing their own kingdom, right? Following their own agenda, doing what they want, not realizing that your own agenda and your own kingdom will always lead to destruction because there's a law that governs all things that you are submitted to. Every individual submitted to the law. If you try to disobey the law, there are consequences to it because, again, this is what the law is. Remember, we, talk, we use analogy of the law of gravity. You can try to disobey the law of gravity. It doesn't mean that you're not subject to it. You can decide to jump off a building and say, today, I choose not to be under gravity. And guess what? Gravity is still going to pull you down and you will splatter on the ground because gravity is a physical law that cannot be questioned. And it embodies the character of God. God, God is in gravity. Gravity exists because of God. Didn't the scripture say that it's by his word that he holds the universe together and the very force that holds the universe together? is gravity so gravity embodies god god is in gravity gravity is in god okay so the physical laws are all the things that we're subject to whether we choose to obey it or not and so is true for the spiritual law if we try to rule in our own law in our own way to do our own thing it's going to lead and end in our destruction so what the children of israel were is the children of israel were now being revealed the law this is we can call it the spiritual science where we they got the revelation of the law to now inaugurate what the rule of god on earth would be because if we rule the earth according to god's law in submission to god's law then there would be no pain no suffering no strife there would be thriving, there would be joy, there would be peace, there would be all the things that we aspire towards, there would be. But because we choose our own law, we see everything other than. We see pain, we see suffering, we see strife, right? we see disease. All these things exist because of sin. I want everybody to understand this as well, and I know I'm ranting, this is why you guys have to endure me for a little bit. And then I'm going to get to my point here. I want everyone to understand this, that sin is not doing bad things. I say it all the time and I'm going to say it again. We often define sin as doing bad things. What determines what's bad? What determines what's good? No. Sin is simply the attempt to break the law. <laughs> That's it. Sin is simply jumping off of a building. That's why it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning sin, you could be doing a good thing and still breaking the law doing it. Because it is something other than the heart, the character, and the righteousness of God. So therefore, you can sin, and while it was all great and it sounded good and all, it led to death. Because these are the spiritual laws that exist. So, I say that for people to understand that the law was not intended. Okay, ready for this? The law was not intended for heaven and hell. This wasn't about heaven and hell. This was about God ruling on earth. And I hope you're seeing this theme as we're going, that God is inaugurating his rule on earth through a chosen people, the Hebrew Israelites. He chooses these people. But these people continue 
to choose or to be influenced by the other laws. Because let me tell you something, if there's anything that's tempting in this world, it's your own rule. It's being your own God. It's being able to control your own destiny. It's being able to decide your own thing, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Your own rule is very, very tantalizing. Anybody knows that there's anything that's seductive. It's the idea that I I can be my own God and do my own thing and that I can take control of my own life. We have motivational speakers who will preach to you all day. Take life by the by the horns. Take control of your life. Take your life back. You are in control. This is your life. You do your thing. You do what's best for you. Sound familiar? We love it. We're tantalized by it. It's seductive to think that my best life will be the one in which I seek after my own gain and my own benefit, my own benefit, exclusively my own benefit, me, myself, and I. And yet everything that is evil in the world has come from what our hearts desire. Judges is really about, if you read the book of Judges, on the backdrop is about what happens when a people who have been set aside, remember up to this point, right? We read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, as we've read and through Deuteronomy, these people have been in, for, for simplicity's sake, these people have been living in a vacuum they have been living in a vacuum, okay? They've been living in the vacuum of, hey, we are the children of God and God is cultivating in us and teaching us by his law how he rules. And notice that his rule wasn't about simply a legal system, but rather a legal system that's driven by the heart of God, which is at the core, loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second one being likened unto it, loving your neighbor as yourself. So these people were living in this vacuum, and man, it's so easy. Uh, it's so easy to rule under God's rule in a vacuum when there are no distractions, when there's nothing else going on around us. It's so easy to rule and to live as God wants us to live. You ever notice that when you are alone with God, stay with me, fam, when you are alone with God, in isolation with God. You ever notice how, man, just life seems to come together? You ever notice that when you are in, in isolation with God, that things, could, things just seem to get right? You ever notice that it's when you go on that time away with your husband or your wife that you begin to just focus on your relationship, the two of you in a vacuum, and then you begin to seek God and pray? that things just start aligning and get right in a vacuum. It's easy when we start to submit under the law of God, which is love and to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we start living under that law to be cultivated and to embody who God is and to body what God desires of us to live the life that God wants us to live. It's so easy to do that in a vacuum. And so through um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, 
as much as they were disobedient, they were still imperfect people. They kept messing up, and yet they were given Leviticus as a way to come back into the presence of God. Leviticus is the law of the atonement. How are you getting back into the presence of God? When you continually make mistakes, because you're going to continually make mistakes, and they continually made mistakes, but God called the Levites, who would be the priests, who would administer the sacrifice that allowed unholy, unrighteous people to still stay in the presence of God. And so in the end, they still had the presence of God. And they got to enjoy the presence of God. And they, and even through their mistakes and their shortcomings and their misgivings, somehow these people were becoming the government of God. It was a moving kingdom, moving through the wilderness, a moving kingdom that's inaugurating the kingdom that God, that God wants to establish on earth. And there it is, this moving kingdom. This kingdom is doing well because there's no distractions. And if there is any that come, it's just these little distractions. And notice that the people from other nations who ended up coming and meeting them along the way became part of them. They became acclimated to it, meaning being the chosen people of God had had more to do with faith than it did with blood. And yet they became part of that just by faith and submitting to God's rule. It was his kingdom. It was his righteousness. And this kingdom is moving through the wilderness, moving through the wilderness, moving through the wilderness, moving through the wilderness. And they get to the promised land that's full of people who rule for themselves. Canaan was a land that was ruled by the ego. Self-pleasure, self-preservation, self-glory. Sounds like today's culture. And in it, we saw barbarism and we saw all the things that, that the world hates, that, that the Lord hates, but that the world loves. And yet we still see the pain, the suffering that comes from it. And now these people move across, move across, move across. And they get to this land. And what Judges is about, family, because Joshua is about how they subdued the land. But Joshua ends with them not eradicating Canaanite influence. They just left a little bit of Canaanite in there. And Judges now shows what happens when you leave a little bit of Canaanite, a little bit of leaven in the lump. Are you hearing me? A little bit of leaven in the lump. And we see now the precipitous decline of the chosen people of God. That the chosen people who were meant to inaugurate, because they were chosen to inaugurate the kingdom of God. But now the chosen people of God entertained the Canaanites. And in entertaining the Canaanites, they fell under the captivity of the Canaanites. This is what happens when chosen people choose to entertain a law and a righteousness that is not God's righteousness. That is not his rule. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. 
And if there's anything that you're seeing as we've gone through these these judges, the judges come in, they deliver the people. The people fall back into Canaanite influence and they fall into Canaanite captivity. Then another judge comes in and the judge, remember these judges weren't like, like legal judges. They were called judges, but really what they were were military leaders. They were spiritual, not even spiritual, let me back that up. They were really military and political leaders who would come in and they would deliver the people out again. And we saw that we've seen now cycles and cycles and cycles. But if I were to, if, if this were the kingdom and this is the bottom of humanity, because what judges does is exposes humanity. If this is the kingdom of God, okay. I hate using this, but I hope this may, may help you out. If this is the kingdom of God and this represents humanity, the bottom, I'm talking about human, human being and humanity at its worst. This is what we're seeing happening to the children of Israel. A little bit up, it's just a staircase going down, going down. And what I hope you're observing here as we read the text is we see, we see the rule of God, the righteousness of God, the law of God, the kingdom of God, precipitously declining and becoming Canaan. I don't know if there's any film writers, any screenwriters. If you want to create a good TV show that shows you everything that's bad about humanity, just 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 screenwrite judges. Screenwrite judges, man. <laughs> it's got all of it there. It's all there. Screenwrite judges. And here's what I've noticing, and I hope some of you have noticed this, that not only are the children of Israel as a whole declining. But as we're reading, we're seeing the judges also declining in morality. We see the judges becoming more and more like Canaanites. We ended our reading yesterday with the Gideon that we celebrated, but at the end, Gideon became what Gideon took an ephod, built an ephod out of Canaanite um, spoils to worship a Canaanite god. Even Gideon fell into Canaanite worship. Let me go, well, what's the problem? What's the problem with Canaanite worship? What's the problem? Like, why? Who who said that that Yahweh is the only God or the one true God? Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? I mean, well, what's the problem with that? The way these people, first of all, the way these people worshipped God. Okay, they worship God through um, through sensuality. Their worship of God was not reflective of the character of God. Their worship of God was through orgies. Their worship of God was through child sacrifice. Their worship of God was through sensuality. These people lived. I'm talking, we're, we're talking about everything you know about everything that is um, scandalous about human behavior and humanity. That's how they worship. So you go, well, what's, what's the problem with bowing down to another God? Maybe he was just being ignorant and maybe he was... It's not how they worshipped. It was barbaric. Okay? They would sacrifice children. They would burn human beings. They enjoyed seeing humans die. 
<laughs> they enjoyed seeing bloodshed. They were bloodthirsty people. They enjoyed taking children and sexually abusing them during their worship services. They used to sacrifice their children for worship. This is how they lived. This wasn't like, oh, you know, it's just the Canaanites. These were barbaric people. So imagine now that the chosen people of God who are called to live away completely and fundamentally different from all of them in a vacuum. Oh, man, it was easy. But once they got to Canaan. Uh, once they got to Canaan. We saw barbarism. Let me say one more thing, because um, I, I just saw someone asking the question, like, you, you know, is it the children of Abraham? Is it who? Who are the chosen people? Is it black people? Is it who who are the chosen people? First of all, I want to make sure I emphasize this because this is important for people to understand because um, I, I see people throwing all kinds of false teaching at this stuff. Okay, Because the people who are inserting their ego into the text and inserting their thinking into the text, it's putting Canaan on the text. Yeah, let's not put Canaan on the text. But when we talk about the chosen people of God, we have to read the text and see what they were chosen for. They were chosen to be ministers of righteousness and justice. They were chosen to be a nation of priests. They were chosen to rule as God ruled, to show what the kingdom of God on earth looks like. That's what they were chosen to do. They were chosen to be a holy people, separate and distinct from everyone else, to show what the kingdom of God is like that others would find revelation of the kingdom of God. First thing. Now, if they were chosen based off of blood, I want to, I want to make sure you understand this because I know I got a few questions. I see a couple questions on IG. So I just want to make sure I clarify. And I got a couple questions I saw on TikTok so far um, that people are asking about this. If they were chosen by blood, then the Canaanites would be chosen as well. Because the Canaanites come from the same blood that the Israelites come from. That's why reading the whole scripture is important. Reading through the whole scripture is important because then you begin to see, hold on a second. The Canaanites and the Israelites are distant cousins. They came from Abraham. Most of them came from Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Many of them came from Esau. Those are children of Abraham as well. Abraham didn't just have Isaac. Abraham had Isaac. You know, maybe we'll do another Bible study just to show you the bloodline, to show you how most of the Canaanites came from Abraham. They were all children of Abraham. People go, well, he'd be the father of a nation. Abraham is not the father of a nation. The text tells us, the Bible tells us very specifically that he is the father of many nations. So Abraham had Isaac, but he didn't just have Isaac. He had Isaac and he had Ishmael. And then Ishmael had Ishmaelites, all types of children, which we see littered all through Canaan. But not only did he have Ishmael, then um, Isaac had Jacob and he had Esau. And if you remember, the text tells us that God blessed Esau as well. <laughs> we read it. God blesses Esau. 
as well. But but I but Jacob, right, was the child of the promise. He was given the covenant, and so down that line we go. So Esau now has nations as well. The nation that we just saw fighting here in the text, right before Jephthah, his conflict with Ephraim, Jephthah's conflict with the Ammonites. These were children of Esau. Sorry, children of Lot. Did you remember, um, not only did Abraham, Abraham had a nephew, his nephew Lot, and Lot had nations. Guys, Israel and Palestine are related. <laughs> oh, man. If we're talking about DNA and ethnicity, they're all related. They're all one big family. The Arabic nations come from Ishmael. Do you know that the Arabic nations are also children of Israel? I mean, sorry, children of Abraham. Well, we are, so when people say I'm the chosen, we're the chosen people of God because we're the children of Abraham, there's a lot of children of Abraham out here. So then, what distinguished the children of Israel, the chosen people of God, and the other nations? Simply the righteousness of God. It was the rule of God. The bloodline that God was preserving all the way through was so that they would see the lineage. That's why it's a bloodline, not just by DNA, but it's a bloodline by faith. It was a lineage of people who chose to serve under God's rule and God's righteousness. And the only reason why that lineage mattered is because that lineage was leading to Christ. Yeshua, Yahashua, as some would like to call it. Did you hear that? There's lineage is all through a promise. If it was by blood, then Rahab could not be part of that lineage. Rahab was a Canaanite woman. Not just a Canaanite woman, but she was a Canaanite working woman. Moses married an African woman. His wife was African. There were people from nations, or Ruth. Ruth wouldn't have been, anyway, yes, we'll, we'll get to Ruth. We're going to get to Ruth in a minute. So therefore, the lineage was not a lineage simply by blood, as we like, Zipporah, correct. It's not a lineage by blood, but actually a lineage by covenantal faith. It was a lineage by faith, not by blood. Because if it was by blood, then the Canaanites count as well. What was the difference between those under covenant, under the covenant of God, and those who are not, was simply the submission to the lordship of God in their life. That was it. That's what distinguished them. I'm sorry, I ranted there. That wasn't even my point. I'm trying to get to Samson, and maybe I'll eventually get to Samson because I'm already over time, and I got to go today because I got to leave early. But I had to make sure I emphasize this, that, 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 that Ishmael and Isaac 
are both sons of Abraham. They have Abraham's DNA. All the children of Ishmael, the Ishmaelites, all have Abraham's DNA. And all the children of Isaac have Abraham's DNA. And even among them, there were those who were children of Esau. They had Abraham's DNA. <laughs> so actually, all the people that we see here who are fighting in this text are all family members. They're all family members. But what Judges is exposing to us is while they're of similar ethnicities, they were divided by their egos and their personalities. Yeah, I, I know. Um, there's been a lot of revision teaching on, on this stuff. Everybody's kind of throw. I see a lot of you messaging like, wait, Moses had an African wife? Yeah, he did. He had an African wife. <laughs> Zipporah was, was his African wife. His, his father-in-law was African. His father-in-law was his advisor, was an African. So, um, and, and what we've, and hopefully what you've read up to this point is the children of God, that nation that's coming among that North Africans came and joined them and they joined them throughout numbers. We see this, the other people who came and joined them and got to enjoy the same covenantal grace that the children of Israel had. Um, yes, Abraham, uh, sorry, Moses' wife was Ethiopian. She was Ethiopian. And the Bible tells us directly. Um, now, now I, I hope you guys are with me here. I hope you guys are with me. I don't want to distract you from this because we're getting now to a place where we're beginning to see the precipitous decline of the morality of the judges who God is calling to deliver these people out of their persistent submission and their capitulation to Canaanite thinking. And the one thing that gets me here in this text is God now sets Samson aside. And for many of us, we have made Samson a hero. Samson is this hero in the Bible. Um, we know the things, if you ask somebody about Samson, what they're going to tell you is they're going to remember his strength. They're going to remember Samson as a judge in the scriptures. A lot of people will emphasize his hair because, you know, they believe that he, had, because he was a Nazarite, he probably had dreads. Samson was, um, the way Nazarites looked at the time is they were of dark, a golden dark uh, complexion and they were dreaded. That, that's what Nazarites look like. They look like dreaded dudes. And they were strong. Um, but they lived a distinct life. And we see at the beginning of this text that after the children had done evil, they continued to do evil. We're seeing the, the decline of the children of Israel. Then now, the Lord delivers into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And then in verse 5, he tells <clears throat> um, 
this family from Zora, Menorah and his wife, and says to her, you will have a child, but this child shall be a Nazarite. So the child shall be a Nazarite. Samson, and we'll spend more time on Samson tomorrow. Um, no, not tomorrow, on Monday. We'll spend more time on Samson on Monday. But I'm going to finally get to my one point. You see how long it takes me just to get to my point? I'm sorry. Y'all just have to endure my rant. But then again, that's why I call it a rant. So I can't disappoint nobody if it's just a rant. Okay. <laughs> um, so Samson is called to be a Nazarite, to live very distinctly. The Nazarites, they lived very, very peculiar and odd lives. They were separate from even among the children of Israel. They were just different. They were different. Um, and so you could tell who a Nazarite was simply by their hair, the way they looked, by the physical appearance. They were rough, kind of a roughneck uh, type of group. They were um, very much, uh, you know, uh, a lot of them were, uh, what's the word, what's the word, what's the word? They, they had a vegan, a near vegan lifestyle. They were, um, they, they, they didn't eat anything. They lived a certain way. And of course, unlike everyone else, they, a lot of them, they had long hair or they had dreads. That's what the Nazarites looked like. As a matter of fact, when you, when you look at the text, nothing says that he has hair. It's only presumed that he has hair until the end when his hair was cut. But because he was a Nazarite, for those who were reading the text, they would know, oh, if he's a Nazarite, then he's a dreaded dude. That's how they would they would perceive it, right? And then in verse 18, <clears throat> um, um, he's confirming, he reveals to this woman that she's going to be raising a Nazarite, this woman who's barren. In verse 18, she confirms it to her husband. And then um, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife after they 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 they, they performed the grain offering and offered it um, to the Lord, which I find very, very peculiar because offerings are not provided. There's so much here that I just won't be able to get to. But offerings weren't provided without the administration of a priest. There had to be a priest for an offering to be made, for a sacrifice offering to be made. So so anyway, anyway, that's another conversation because the priest was there. <laughs> the great high priest who we know as Christ himself, but that's another conversation for another day. Then the angel of the Lord, which now they understand the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, because Manoah knew that it was the angel of the Lord. And they say in verse 22, that we, we shall surely die because we have seen God. They don't acknowledge that in individual as just a, um, <clears throat> an agent of God. They identify the individual as God among them. Emmanuel, God was actually here in this location. But then the woman bears a son. The son's name is Samson. I'm getting to my point. And Samson grew. The Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move on him. Now, notice now that the Holy Spirit is not a New Testament reality. Notice just in this text, Jesus is not a New Testament reality. The Holy Spirit is not a New Testament reality. And maybe I'll do a Jesus study all the way through because Jesus is all through the Old Testament. And the Spirit is all through the Old Testament as well. But that's neither here nor there. We'll come back to that. That's not what we're here to do. I want to just point out one thing here. Is in Judges 14, 
Samson takes for himself a Philistine wife. And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. Again, we talk about this. Right? We, that's what I've been just ranting about this entire time. Was the failure of the children of Israel to resist Canaanite thinking and Canaanite living and Canaanite philosophy. And yet now we have a judge who's being chosen as a Nazarite to live fundamentally separate from everyone else, but now he's choosing a Canaanite wife. You have to understand, marriage is not how we see marriage today. Marriage was a big deal, much bigger deal then than it is today. And so he chooses, he says, for it pleases me well, go get me that Philistine wife. And they're like, bro, are you serious? That's the enemy. You want to marry the enemy and live with the enemy? The Philistines? Who, who, are, who, who have oppressed us and yet you want us to live with them? In verse 4, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. Huh? But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at the time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Even in the midst of Samson's, um, Samson's ignorance, Samson's reluctance, Samson's self-pleasure, his self-glory, Samson's um, lack of understanding and wisdom in this particular matter, that it's all being guided by the Lord. This was all a part of God's plan. I want you guys to understand this here. It says that the father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Oh my gosh, I'm going to give you something. That's, oh Jesus, this is, oh my gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up Pandora's box and I don't, I don't want to do that. But then, ah, uh, then I have to do it. Because then, ah, uh, okay. I'll, I'll slightly open up the box. Pay very attention. Pay very close attention here. Verse 25. I'm going to teach this and then I'm going to let you go. Verse 25. The spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. So verse 25, Samson has the spirit of the Lord. Are you with me? Scriptures tell us again that he's filled with the spirit of the Lord. Samson is filled with the spirit. Now, this is not just, oh, just this feeling of the Spirit. Notice, I like how in the New King James, it has capital S. This is the Holy Spirit. Samson has the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the part that people get thrown off with, because we like to say, well, Samson was thinking with his pants and not with his head or not with his heart. That's how I was taught. Samson just loved Philistine girls. He just loved them Philistine girls. Because he loved them Philistine girls. He was just being ignorant and dumb. How dumb was he? 
Oh, I'm gonna throw. I'm, I'm gonna open the box. I'm gonna open the box. I'm gonna open the box. Samson has the spirit of the Lord, and he goes up and tells his father, "There's a woman in Timnah of the daughters of Philistine. Now, therefore, go get her for me as my wife." If Samson is filled with the spirit of the Lord, is it Samson asking for her, or is it the Lord asking for her? If he's filled with the spirit of the Lord, is Samson now operating under his agenda or is Samson operating under God's agenda? I know I'm opening the box. I, I, you've been taught Samson was thinking with his pants. How about Samson wasn't even thinking? How about the Lord was just moving and that Samson was simply a piece in the divine strategy of God? That's the part we don't like. Get her for me, verse uh, in verse three. Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Then verse four exposes God. Verse four says, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. The text tells us directly that it was the Lord asking this, not Samson. Bible study. Now I'm going to full Bible study. Now we're going to full Bible study mode. I hate when I get to this point because I, I love to study the scriptures. Now I feel like I'm I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here. Okay. Did you hear it? Samson's filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Samson asks for this woman in Timnah as his wife. He says, get her for me. Then verse 4 says that what his mother and father did not know that it was of the Lord. God, through Samson, was asking for Samson to marry this woman. This was all a part of God's plan. Text tells us Samson asked for her. So Samson went down to Timnah with his mother and father and came to the vineyards of Timnah. And then we, we see everything else that transpires from that moment. The Lord sent Samson into Philistine territory. Samson was a double agent. He was all part of God's plan. Here's the thing though, here's the part that y'all miss. Because this is not Delilah. <laughs> this is not Delilah. Did you hear that? Delilah is a whole different story. <laughs> um, Delilah is a whole different story. But right now, the Lord called Samson to marry this woman, this Philistine woman in Timnah, so that he can be in, so that the Lord can begin his strategic agenda in destroying the Philistines. This was all God's plan. If you don't like it, if you, listen, if you want to be mad at me, be mad. You can't be mad at me. Be mad at what the Bible's saying. Please tell me if it's saying, if it's saying something else, please tell me, but I'm just telling you what it's saying. Okay. <laughs> I told now you made me open Pandora's box. Now I have to close it. Okay. So let me see if I can close. Samson was a double agent. He was called in. 
Samson, again, who's still prideful, don't get it twisted. He still had some other things going on. Some stuff was him and some stuff was the Lord. And the Bible tells us what was the Lord and the Bible tells us what was his. Him asking for the woman to marry was not the Lord. Sorry, it was not him. Him asking for the woman to marry was the Lord. Y'all got that part, right? Good. That was the Lord. Then a young lion came roaring up against him. And also the, the text tells us again, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart. He ripped up this lion. This man moved supernaturally with the power of God, tore a lion apart and killed the lion. Then he went down and he talked with the woman. Notice. Guys, oh my goodness. I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, if this wasn't God's plan, why would the Spirit of the Lord give him the power to tear the lion apart to get to the woman? A lion got in the way of him going to meet this woman, and yet the Spirit of the Lord shows up again and says, now nah, we got this, Samson. We need to get to this woman. So now we're going to rip this lion apart because I need you to get to this woman. He tears the lion apart. And then he goes in verse seven and meets with the woman. Are you reading what I'm reading? I hope you guys are reading what I'm reading. Okay, good. I hope you guys are reading what I'm reading. And so he tears the lion apart, meets the woman. The problem was not getting to the woman and marrying her. The problem was how he returned. Because he did not live in accordance to how God told him to live. When he returned, the spirit that brought him there was not the spirit he went back with. Because on his way back, he saw the honey, the bees on the carcass of the lion. And understand that Nazarites, Nazarene, Nazarenes, Nazarites did not have permission to touch anything that was dead. They could not touch anything that died. Okay. So you have to learn what, what the Nazarites were all about. And because they could not touch anything that died, him, him eating the honey from the carcass of the lion was a grievous act. And even more grievous was, is he touched, he took the honey and he gave some to his mother and father. That's another word for another day, another message for another day. But we don't have time for that. I just want to get to my point. Then afterwards, he poses a riddle and he tests them. Watch this now. Why would Samson pose a riddle? These are the things we miss in the story. Why? I hope I'm reorienting how you read the story of Samson. We're in Judges 14. How you read it. Because he says to him, he, so he poses a riddle, a riddle. Why does anyone pose a riddle? They pose a riddle because they want to see and test who will figure it out. He says, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Did y'all catch that? He gives a riddle about something that only he knows about. Because he's testing two things. If anybody figures out this riddle, they either saw him, or they're hearing from God. And he's testing to see what they saw and whether or not anyone can hear from God. But after three days, no one answered. And, the, and so he already has confirmation. No one saw him and no one heard from God. 
Ah, but then they press on him. They press on his wife. And they ask his wife. I'm just giving you here, guys. I'm just, I'm just telling, I'm just reading what it says. Samson's wife comes to him and weeps on him because they intimidate the wife, right? They blackmail her. They tell her, if you don't, if you don't get the answer to this, to this, to this riddle, we're going to burn down your mother and your father's house. And so again, his wife goes up to him and says, please tell us the story. Tell us what happened. Tell us what's the answer to this riddle. And of course, Samson gives her the answer to the riddle. And they come back and now they give the answer to the riddle. Are y'all catching what's happening in the story here? That's why I say we need screenwriters to to write this, because maybe once it's put in a movie format, you actually see what's actually happening here. He gives the riddle. He gives her the answer to the riddle. And after he gives her the answer to the riddle, before the seven days is over, somebody comes with the answer to the riddle. Hmm. This is a test. He's testing the people. He's testing the dynamic. He's testing what's actually happening here. He's testing how these people move and how these people function. Samson didn't love this woman. This marriage was not about his pants. This marriage was all about strategy. (laughs) Samson's playing chess. More importantly, the spirit of God is playing chess. While everybody else is playing checkers. And then verse 19, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ashkelon and he killed 30 of their men, took their apparel and gave changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused aroused, and he went back up to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Y'all, this is a movie, y'all. Samson now knows that she spilled the beans. He knows she ain't it. This is not going to work with her because I wanted to test to see her allegiance. She for the streets. She ain't for me. <laughs> and because she for the streets, I'm going to go about my way because Samson never loved her. So much so, y'all, that Samson leaves, goes back home, and they and she gets married to the best man at his wedding. She she got married to his best man. <laughs> Sorry. This is this is gold. Y'all, this is gold. This is I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, man. We got we got to do a movie. You got to do a movie. We got to do something. Did you guys catch it? Did you guys catch it? Samson went to f- to the Philistine territory, got married to this woman. Was soon as he leaves, because he know now she 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 for the streets. Soon as he knows who she's about and what she is, he knows she won't work. She ain't gonna work for what I'm trying to do. And what does Samson do? He gets up and he goes back home because the only reason why he can stay 
in the Philistine territory is because she is because he's with her. He needed to be married to this woman to be able to stay in Philistine territory. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. Everything you've seen, all the stuff you see, all the tea, all the crazy, all, all the crazy stuff you see that's happening, it all happens in the Bible. He will say, what you mean? You mean, you mean the Bible had an instance where a dude got married and then left her and then she got married to the best man? Literally, Texas tells he right after. She's like, well, I guess Samson gone. So, uh, yeah, give him to the best man. Tomorrow, not tomorrow, but on Monday when we read, we're going to see how Samson took what he learned in Judges 14 to defeat the Philistines in Judges 15. This was all part of God's plan. It was all part of the plan. Should I should I title this um this 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 episode as she she for the streets? No, it's too it's too ratchet. She for the streets is too ratchet. This was all part of God's plan. I hope y'all see it. The plan, not the pants. The plan, not the pants. This is what it means to be um, driven by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that guides us, that leads us, that allows us to move in the way God intends us to move. The question is what drives you? What drives you? What motivates you? We're going to leave in this tension, family. That's the title. Plan, not the pants. It wasn't his pants, but it was the plan. And for many, even though Samson started well, Samson doesn't end well. Gideon started well. Gideon didn't end well. Is anything I'm praying about is I'm praying that we end well. Samson eventually gets influenced. He gets in too deep. That's probably going to be the next episode title. He gets in too deep. Because he gets in too deep, he loses it all. <laughs>